Genesis 19, best known for the historical events regarding Sodom and Gomorrah and actually surrounding towns as well. It is one of those chapters that I would not choose to preach through if we weren't moving through chapter by chapter and verse by verse through God's Word. It's one of those stories that did not make it into children's books, right? You are not going to see fire and brimstone in many of the children's books. I used to joke with my kids about VBS songs that never really took off or never really got written uh, for, for kids to sing with in VBS. And this is one of those that never got written, along with Judges 19. You know, it's labeled the Levite and his concubine, which is, is an oxymoron in the first place. This, this, this one and, and that one are, are ones that I had joked about. And, and uh, my, my daughter, Micaiah, was actually in a Bible class, and Judges 19 came up as a part of uh, the discussion, and the, and the teacher was saying, yeah, this one is not one that usually gets read to children. And my daughter actually broke out with, cut up the concubine and send her to the tribes. Hey! The teacher looks at her like, what? <laughs> that was one of the songs I, you know, had joked that this one never made it into VBS music, right? Yeah, yeah, not, they won't probably be a Veggie Tales. So these chapters, they show the worst of mankind's sinfulness. They aren't ones that we celebrate. We'd much rather the Bible not show man's depravity, right? Warts and all, but it does. Because the Bible, God's word, God's truth is not about elevating man. The relationship that we see in God's word, the reality that this universe revolves around is that God is sovereign and man is morally responsible. Not the other way around. Man wants to make us sovereign, and God morally responsible to us. The Bible shows us man's sinfulness because it's real. It's informing of us of a reality that is more real than what we see before us on a daily day. It's a reality that we will live by for eternity. Recall that we learned last week about Abraham being visited by the Lord himself. He took on a temporary human form, and he had two other visitors with him. And these visitors brought good news to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son and that it was coming soon. They'd been hearing about it for, for decades, and they're finally told this time next year Sarah will have a son. And it was, it was almost it was laughable. To them, but 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 laughable in the sense of they can't imagine having such joy in their lives. And after their visit, Abraham learned that God was sending the two others. It turned out to be angels to to look over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they represented other cities in the area as well as to whether or not He would bring His judgment on them. 
Last week we concluded with Abraham interceding for his nephew Lot and his family. And God agreed that he would not destroy the cities for their intense depravity if he were to find ten righteous people there. And you're probably aware the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities as well end up destroyed. And the sad truth is that they were destroyed for their sin. It's not just that. But the sadder truth is that they were destroyed because of the lack of righteous people within them. Not even ten. We'll see that that Lot and his family are saved because of Abraham's intercession as God's friend. Even going beyond what he eventually promised to Abraham. We look this morning, and I want to challenge you to beware of being relatively righteous. We see Lot and his family are relatively righteous. We see Lot's relationship with Sodom described in 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 9 where we're told about God's final judgment saying, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, then verse 9 says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Peter, using this as an example, encouraging the Jewish believers that were reading this, that as they were undergoing persecution because of the the ungodly culture around them, that God would have the final say. And he he uses this example talking about righteous lot, which we're going to see here, that, that we really don't know what this means in terms of God, right, Lot's relationship before God, but he was relatively righteous when it came to the culture around him. By, by some standard, Lot is considered to be righteous. And it may be that he had a relationship with God because of faith in the coming Messiah like Abraham had. It, it would not be surprising if Abraham had shared with Lot during their time together of God's promise to bring the Messiah through the child that Sarah would bear. But what we will definitely see is that Lot's righteousness, his sanctification, the outward expression of righteousness, did not have much of an impact. And sadly, it doesn't seem to have an impact of those closest to him much at all meaning his family, his sons-in-law. Being relatively righteous is always a danger for us as well, even in knowing Christ as our Savior. And we are talking about being relatively righteous in our lives as our relationship with God is both growing and and overtaking our our mind and our heart and our behavior. And, And as a a sign to the world around us as well. 
Most consider this chapter to be about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and, as I mentioned, the other towns as well. But it's really about the destruction of Lot's family. And this is in contrast with how Abraham enjoyed the blessing of God in the previous chapter. Abraham was visited by God with a message of hope and encouragement. Lot is visited by God's representatives with a message of a warning, of judgment. And we'll see how much the sinful culture of Sodom had slid. We'll see how Lot's family was guilty of allowing their hearts to be sedated by sin. And we'll see how a scheme devised by the daughters of Lot only led to greater pain when they thought it was their only means to meet a need that they had. So first, we'll learn from looking at the behavior of Sodom. And I encourage you to see the slide of a sinful society. I know these points having so many words that start with S in them, it sounds like the sermon's being given by Sylvester the cat, but it's how it landed with me. So we read in verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. This, this would have meant that Lot had risen to some point of kind of being an elder or a, a wise judge among the people of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. He said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up and go on your way. In other words, you do not want to stay here. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. In chapter 13, we learned about how Lot had chosen to live in the area of Sodom because of the lush fields that reminded him of the... the, uh, the land of Egypt at the Nile when he was there with Abraham. We saw how he had settled then among the cities. And then he moved his tent near Sodom, even as chapter 13, verse 13 states, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now we find Lot actually living in the city of Sodom. And I'm reminded of God's warning about getting comfortable with sin from Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the progression. It doesn't walk there, nor stand there, nor sit there. We see that progression in life's, in, in Lot's relationship with the city of Sodom. And it appears that Lot recognizes that the angels are special emissaries from someone important, if not from God himself. He also knew that they would be in danger if they didn't come under the protection of his roof, showing them hospitality. But we read further, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. This city is wretched through and through. And they called to Lot 
Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. This is the biblical term for a sexual knowledge. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. What in the world is going on here? Incidentally, that other chapter of Judges 19 is another instance of something so ridiculous being offered. He continues saying, Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. We continue on, But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. Lot tries to be the solution to the sin of the city that he longed to be a part of originally. He tries to mitigate the danger of the city's sin that it posed to his visitors. And sin swelled with a fever pitch with the mob demanding to abuse the visitors. And all Lot can offer is the unthinkable to try to to satisfy the unimaginable and the desires of these men. We see in in this the mob lust overpower the hospitality and the civility and the influence of the man Lot. You know, it seems like a statement that comes up pretty often as as some of you and I talk about the slide of our culture, that people say it's starting to feel like Sodom. Many in our nation have accepted same-sex marriage as the law of the land. It is not an expansion of marriage. It is a redefinition of marriage. Many in our nation Uh, Many in our libraries defend having drag queens read to our children in the hopes of swaying them in their years of of fragility. Many of our counselors tell parents that their children experiencing gender dysphoria must be allowed to transition to another gender as if that is possible. Many in our healthcare system call the murder of babies health care and the mutilation of children gender affirmation with these Orwellian terms. The truth is that our nation is following a process of a degrading of our society that is found in Romans 1. And it's worthwhile to be read. Where we read in Romans 1 verses 21 through 28. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they became idolatrous. 
And here's God's judgment on the society that turns this corner. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to, the, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up, up to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is given as a pattern that sinful cultures, as they reject God as their creator and lawgiver, goes through sexually. And we're called to see the slide of our sinful society for what it is and to love people in it praying that God would open their eyes and their hearts to the truth of the gospel. Next in this account of the last night of Sodom, we have the opportunity to see the sad results of sin-sedated hearts. We continue in verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house. These are the angels at work here. Both small and great so that they were wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. So these, these men would have been betrothed to his daughters. Um, and they had already gone through an engagement aspect so they would be considered his sons-in-law even though they had not been married to his daughters formally yet. And he says to them, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law be jesting. Lot and his family appear to be begrudging recipients of God's mercy, as we'll see. But thankfully, his protectors saw his attempts as useless and rescued him. They, they will go on to rescue him and de they deal with the crowd as Lot's attempts to rescue the angels fall flat. And Lot isn't taken seriously, even by his sons-in-law. And one has to wonder, wonder if the sin of their city had even been spoken of by Lot as deserving judgment. They certainly didn't respond saying, I guess this is the judgment that our father-in-law has been telling us should be coming. 
And we continue on in verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And then read what he does. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord brought, being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So, so they're being doubly merciful. Saying, you know what? If you're not going to listen to us, we're going to grab you by the hand and take you physically out of this city. And as they brought them out, one, meaning one of the men, said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And here we see Lot now bargaining with these men. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? They had told them, we are not going to destroy anything until you get to the hills. But Lot is doubting their word. He says, and my life will be saved. And he said to them, behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. For I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zor. And Zor actually means little. But notice, Zor was on the list to be destroyed as well. Lot, by asking if he could go to this little city of Zor, was actually going to be protecting and allowing for its wickedness to continue. After he's given direct orders, Lot still lingers until the angels physically remove him. And he barters for the protection of one of the cities in the valley. The Old Testament commentary says, Not even brimstone will make a pilgrim of him, meaning one who would depend on the Lord. He must have his little Sodom again if life is to be supportable. Against this stands the patience, mercy of God, shepherding even the straggler to safety. End quote. We continue reading, The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. So his journey, this, this whole ordeal, goes from, from the time that they were just about to lay down for the night until the sun is finally coming up when Lot and his two daughters and his wife, well, we'll actually see his wife is straggling even more when Lot and his daughters get to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. These, these elements are we know also as fire and brimstone are representative of God's total desolating judgment of every living thing plant and animal and person. It says, and he overthrew these cities and all the valley 
and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. You know, all we can know about these cities is they are, they are around the valley that is, is now holds the Dead Sea, which is, I believe, is it, Jeff, is it the lowest altitude point on earth, the Dead Sea? You got to wonder if this judgment made it so. But sadly, we see in verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back. So she's already behind him. We don't know how far behind she is, but she gets swept up in this judgment. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I don't know if that looks like a stalagmite or what. As a merciful judge, God destroys Sodom but allows Lot's family to escape. The greatest danger of sin is the damage that it does to our hearts and what our heart desires. And when we allow sin to grow in our home, the damage is done to the hearts of those who live there. And even with just judgment falling on her home city, Lot's wife couldn't help but look back longingly. You know, there's a proverb that warns against drink as it describes that sparkles in the cup. It's, it's drink that, that makes one drunk quickly. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 25, They struck me, you will say. Speaking of the person that, that's drunk. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. The, the idea here is, is I got beat while I was drunk, and I didn't feel it then, but I'm going to wake up soon, and I'll feel it then. So the answer is, I better get another drink. This is the danger of living under the sedation of drunkenness physically. At some point, the person's going to sober up, and the consequence of their drunken actions are going to come to light. And the sad fact is that their family is going to feel those consequences as well. And sometimes others feel the severe result of drunkenness, especially if they get hit by the car that the guy is driving. In the same way, the heart that is slowly sedated by sin allows a person to slide into deeper sin. And it just makes the heart more and more sedated to the pain that is eventually going to come due. And the parents that are sedated by sin set a low bar for their children to start from. In the next verses, we see why it is that God was so merciful to Lot. We read in verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst 
of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This chapter is still about what it means to be a friend of God. Abraham being a friend of God, being accounted with righteousness because of his faith, his faith in that coming Messiah, that out of mercy for Abraham, God, remembering Abraham, had mercy on Lot. And this should be an encouragement to us as we intercede for those that we love and care for. Why was God merciful to Lot? It was for Abraham's sake, we're told. Abraham being God's friend resulted in Lot being blessed with mercy. And Abraham learns that his intercession did not save the cities, although God still saved his nephew. But what would have saved the cities? If you think about it, if Lot had made a difference in the lives of nine other people. If God had used Lot to change the hearts of nine other people, it would have made the ten, and the cities would have been saved. I don't know if the earth would have been better off for it. You know, Lot's wife and his daughters and his sons-in-law, that's five. Plus Lot, that only would need four more. The danger of being relatively righteous is a limited impact. Warren Wiersbe says, Had Lot gone to Sodom because God directed him to, his being there would have been fulfilling a divine purpose. After all, God put Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, and Esther in Persia, and their presence turned out to be a blessing. Worldliness is not a matter of physical geography, but of heart attitude. End quote. And just when they thought you'd seen it all, we come to the sad legacy of Lot's family here at the end of chapter 19. And in it, I hope that you'll see how a sinful solution has serious side effects. We read in verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So, so here he asks for Zor to be protected, for him to be able to go to this city. And, and it's very likely that he sees the same sin in the city of Zor and thinks, I don't want to go through this again. So he goes up and lives in the very hills that he asked him, the angels not to send him to. Says, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And now it gets ugly. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine together also. Then you go and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. 
So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose, arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So in case the activities of this last night of Sodom didn't make you feel like going home and take a shower, we have the rest of chapter 19 here. This is why I say this chapter is much less about the destruction of Sodom and the other cities as it is about the destruction of the family and legacy of Lot. This is the last place where Lot is ever mentioned. How sad is that? We see the sinful warping of sexuality in two ways in our passage. The men of Sodom perverted their sexuality, justifying homosexuality. And here we see Lot's daughters twisting sexuality to provide justifying incest. You know, there are plenty of places in the scripture where a woman, barren, or wondering where she will find a husband, calls out to the Lord as a request. Think of Ruth with Naomi. How wondering how in the world God is going to provide for them through marriage provides the blessing overwhelmingly. But here we see two women that go through a process that is common to all of us in the sense of justifying sin. Where they look at a need that they have and they wonder how it's ever going to get fulfilled and so they take it into their own hands to make sure it gets fulfilled. And it is far beyond the boundaries that God has put on sexuality. This is the same process that people go through and they sacrifice their purity they sacrifice their their legacy they sacrifice their family because they have a need and they don't see how else it will be fulfilled the answer is to trust god and to follow his No matter how much we are told what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, it is not true. There are consequences to sin. And wherever we allow sin to take root in our lives, it will bear fruit in us and in our families. Lot's sad legacy is one of weak spiritual leadership in his home. His worldly values allow him to jeopardize his daughters in the first place, in the city of Sodom. His testimony was a joke to his family. His delay about putting his family brought a, put, put his family at great risk, and his worldly wife couldn't follow simple instructions and died because of it. 
And even with the threat of destruction, he didn't see the worldly city of Sodom as being dangerous. I'm sorry, the worldly city of Zor, that little city, as being dangerous. In the end, he left the world with two troublesome nations that were birthed through a sickening process. The Ammonites, one of his, the descendants of one of his grandchildren, would tempt the nation of Israel at Bel Peor with a terrible immorality that leads to God's people being judged. The Moabites, which come from his other grandson, will introduce Israel to the worst forms of idolatry, including the worship of Molech, which includes sacrificing their babies on his altar. These are sad consequences a sinful solution with serious side effects. You know, Jesus gives us two warnings when he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. First, he speaks of how judgment came quickly and without warning on them. He says in Luke 17, verse 28 through 30, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, when they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You know, interestingly, uh, I have a little insert in your bulletin there because I didn't really want to take the time to go into it. And in, in the 1950s, a book was written, kind of a, a, um, a, mile, you know, a milestone book that basically explained that, you know, the sin of Sodom wasn't homosexuality. It was inhospitality. And you're given the three arguments there that the, the writer writes. And I want to be intellectually honest with you, give you those arguments, and I want you to see just how weak the arguments are. And then where the, uh, I think it's the Old Testament commentary explains the weakness of those arguments. But it still stands as just as Jesus says, and, and, jo- and Jude 7 describes, Lot was, uh, Sodom was judged because of their sexual depravity. And you can find that verse at the bottom of that insert as well. But also we want to take another account of what Jesus says. And it's a, and it's a condition that America sounds even more like. Not just because of the slide of morality in our culture. But because of the presence of the gospel in it. The dullness of hearing to salvation. Jesus says, of, as he preached the gospel in certain towns, in Matthew 11, verses 23 through 24, and, and speaking specifically of Capernaum, the area where he had lived for a, a period of time and preached the gospel there, he says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down, or will you be brought down to Hades? For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, It would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom 
than for you. Meaning that at least Sodom did not have the truth of the Messiah and all that he had done and all that he had said and his death and his resurrection proclaimed before them as we have written and as people in the Western world have the opportunity to read from any library, from, from any bookstore in God's word. That the judgment will be worse for those lands that have the truth and ignore it than it was for Sodom. I want to ask you, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you think that sitting here in these chairs one Sunday to the next somehow makes you more acceptable to God, Jesus is warning you in these verses that you stand under greater judgment than even the land of Sodom. What are you waiting for? And if, if, if you have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and it has not changed your life, something went wrong. And I recommend you do it again. And you do it again until the Holy Spirit indwells you and makes His presence known. This is nothing to mess with. Judgment is coming. And, and just as much as judgment is coming to this earth one day, all of us will face judgment on the other side of death. As Hebrews tells us, it is appointed once for man to die and then to face judgment. Don't let the fact that you are relatively righteous compared to our, the rest of our world make you feel comfortable. Pursue God's form of righteousness. Pursue obedience to his word. Pursue standing in Christ's righteousness before him. No other righteousness will give you a relationship with him. Let's bow our heads.